Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Jared. It's so good to be here with you, and thank you for those of you online joining us. At this time, um, the kids are dismissed. They can head back to their classrooms. We've got classes for all ages, nursery up through high school. And youth group, you are also dismissed. Uh, 6th grade through 12th grade, you're going to head to the high school room. You can make your way there. Well, for the rest of us, go ahead and grab your bulletin, if you got one coming in. And just a real quick announcement today, uh, just reminding you that that first page of your bulletin, that response card, is a great way for you to update us on prayer requests, um, praise report. Uh, you can submit questions or any concerns you have there, and you can just drop that in the offering box by the back door on your way out, and we will get in touch with you. Um, if you want to learn more about something, that's a great way to contact us and let us know. Um, with that, let's pray and we'll jump into the Word. God, we thank you so much that we get to be here together. Thank you that we get to study your Word. And God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would just prepare our hearts for what you have for each of us. Lord, that you would speak through your word and that you would speak through Lee. And Lord, that you would be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jared. So grab your Bibles, open them up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read just a little bit together to kind of warm our hearts up for what the Lord has for us this morning. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. It's not a good thing to do. And... If you live by the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And then skip down to verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we just ask that you would bless the reading of your word and you would bless the teaching of your word. We look forward to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jared got us started in the adventure of walking in the Spirit, chapter 8. Quite a chapter. Just a little bit of review. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak. Why? Because of me. 
through the flesh. Just can't get there on our own. God did. I love that. How did he do it? By sending his own son. I remember that time in my life. I was my senior year in high school. I had basically gotten to the point where I was tired of living one way, trying to live up to what God I knew God wanted me to do and be at church, and then I'd get to high school and it was gone. I felt like a hypocrite. I wanted to, I told my mom, I go, Mom, this is not working for me, this church stuff. It's just not working. And the wisest thing that she could possibly do was say, well, would you just keep going to church for me? I mean, your mom says, for me, what do you do? Well, you keep going to church. And one Sunday, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And I literally said to the Lord, I go, it's not working for me, Lord. I can't live up to what I know you want me to do. And he simply said to me, don't you understand? That's why I had to go to the cross for you. Whoa. That absolutely changed my life. When I realized that it wasn't about me, it was about Jesus and what he did for me. And let me read that verse again. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son. Why, it's thrilling what Romans chapter 8 has for us. As the Lord lays out for us what Christ did on the cross and how that changes our life from the inside out. If you've been around for a while, you've probably heard me say, it's absolutely true that the Lord loves us just like we are. But it's also true that he loves us too much to leave us that way. And I'm so thrilled that his love for us changes us from the inside out, makes it possible. There's too many believers that are trying to fight the evil habits and tendencies and their own strengths. It's absolutely exhausting. You can't win. The flesh wins ultimately every time. But Paul reminds us about that. So we start with verse 12. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we're debtors. You're not debtors to the flesh anymore to live according to the flesh. If you do according to the flesh, it'll kill you. Fighting evil habits and tendencies and our own strength, it doesn't work. It's a scary place to be. It can end up sucking the life completely out of you. Look at your notes if you like to take notes. Number one, good news. That's which we could not accomplish in our own strength. He did. Wow. What a glorious adventure waits every child of God. And Paul continues with this good news. Let's see. We go on with verse 13. But, the other side of the coin. But, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, 
These are sons of God. Now that Greek word translated led is a key, key word in this passage. In the Greek, it literally means to be carried. The law, well, it gives the right direction, but it expects us somehow to get there on our own. And your notes number two, the Holy Spirit not only gives the right direction, but listen to this, He also carries us, empowers us to that goal. And my paraphrase for this verse goes something like this. But as many as are carried and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, why these are sons, daughters of God. That's who we are. The idea is like this, kind of like a basketball team that's doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden, one of the key players just gets on fire. He just cannot miss a shot. Three, you know, the three-pointers, he's, he's out there, he's throwing them in. Everything he does is just happening. The whole team gets excited, and we use the term, wow, he's carrying the team. Well, that's kind of the idea with what the Holy Spirit does for us. He's the difference maker in our lives. We get excited because Christ lives in us. We're not alone anymore. We don't have to live this Christian life in our own strength. And we get fired up. And the difference that he makes, well, look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, biblical adoption it's a little bit different than what we understand as adoption. Look at your notes, number three. The literal meaning of the Greek word is son placing. The taking of a minor, whether in family or outside of the family, and making him or her the rightful, full, legal heir. Every believer is already a child of God, But at the same time, God the Holy Spirit takes us and makes us, we're adopted, we're full legal heirs of God through this adoption process of the Spirit. Paul's point is this. Think about this. It's not like, well, you may have accepted me as your Savior, but let's see if you really deserve to be part of my family. No, You're a 100% full legal heir, done deal, intimately loved by God, invited into the most intimate place of all, right into his family. Think of the Holy Spirit that is given to us as the hug of the Godhead. We experience God's love through his Spirit. Then from our hearts, in response, we cry out, Abba. We, from our hearts, Daddy, Father. It's an intimate relationship with the living God. It's like hearing, welcome home, son, daughter. Oh, I've been waiting for you. And we enter into his family. And how does the Spirit begin to carry us and empower us? Paul goes on, verse 16. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In our deepest hearts, our deepest soul, the Holy Spirit begins to witness to us God's love, God's care. And we begin to see His working in our lives. We're touched by His heart. And He whispers in His way to us, I love you. And we respond, Papa, Daddy. And He takes us in His arms by the Holy Spirit and He's carrying us now through this life. And He's ministering to our deepest needs. But wait. There's more. Verse 17. If, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, and get this, joint heirs with Christ. Let's stop there. Here's the ultimate test of our sonship. Has God written you into his will? To me, that would it'd be more than enough if God just said, well, you're adopted, you can eat at my table, and you can live under my roof. But who could have dreamed that God had it in his plan and in his heart when he adopted me, when he adopted you, that he would make us joint heirs with his son? That means we get the same share as God's only begotten Son. Let that sink in. But then there seems to be a little bit of a catch as you get into verse 17 a little further. There's the phrase, if indeed. And many take that and they focus on the if. Well, this is going to happen if Indeed, I suffer with him if I'm willing to go through the suffering. But that's not the literal meaning here. In fact, McGee says, too many people put the emphasis on the if, but this is the way I would translate it, he says. McGee says, since we suffer with him. Literally, the meaning of if indeed is if, as in fact, we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and that gives a clue to what Paul's talking about here, as we're left on this earth, we're in this world, but not of this world, but we're still suffering the things that come upon us because we're in this world. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And Paul's point, the trials and sorrows of this life compared to the glories of heaven, heaven is so heavy that what we're going through in this world, the struggles and so forth, well, they're light in comparison. And Jesus gives some idea to Paul's thought here about suffering. John 16:33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. 
Now some wonder, and I've heard people ask this question, well, why doesn't the Lord just then take us home the moment that we give our hearts to Him? Then we don't have to go through this stuff in the world and the suffering and the pain and whatever we might have to deal with. Well, Jesus also gives some insight into that. John 20, 20 and 21. He spoke to the disciples. He showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, the cross that he bore for them. And they were filled with joy. They saw the Lord. And he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So, look at your notes, number four. Jesus leaves us here in this world because because people need to know about him. And how are they going to find out if we're not here to tell them? How are they going to find Jesus? Well, Paul goes on with how the Spirit carries us. Verse 19, For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. And we're reminded that there's a revealing that's going to take place. And the hope that we put in the Lord is sure and steadfast. And when we get to heaven, the revealing It's going to be something to behold. Think about this. We'll share in the glory of Jesus and next to the Savior himself in heaven will be highlights in heaven because of Jesus. We'll be transformed like him. The revealing of the sons of God will take place when Jesus comes back. We'll see him. We see him face to face will be transformed completely at that point in time into his likeness. At last, we will be fully able to be the kind of people that God has called us to be. Won't that be a glorious day? Amen? Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about this revealing. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye. Those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. Death is swallowed up in victory. What a spectacular day that will be when we become completely like Jesus. Next, Paul shares, we're not not the only ones that are waiting for this to take place. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. 
So Paul's kind of lifting the curtain back and letting us see there is something wrong going on in this world. Creation's hurting. All creation's corrupted. Julia Andrews, notwithstanding, yes, the hills may be alive with the sound of music, but it's a little off-key. Okay? Why? Because all creation was corrupted when man sinned in the Garden of Eden. And this is continuing, and there's continuing fallout from Adam's bomb in the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, all creation was in harmony with its Creator, God looked and it was good. But sin threw a wrench in the gears. God's perfectly ordered universe became subject to randomness. Literally, nature went berserk. Because of sin, think about this, the gentle rain that can be so heartwarming also is the rain that is the source of floods and damage, and destruction. The wind that can lift a kite up in the air and you enjoy the breeze can also knock over your house (laughs) or drive a raging wildfire. Today, nature is a mix of beauty and brutality, of majesty and monstrosity. Mother Nature is the number one perpetrator of random acts of violence. And not only that, verse 23, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. Verse 24, for we were saved in this hope. This is God's sure promise that it's going to happen because we belong to him. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? In other words, we don't have everything the Lord has for us yet, but someday we will. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. In other words, we hang in there. Not only does creation groan with earnest expectation, but we groan. The older my body gets, the more I groan. (laughs) My spirit inside of me is like a hot air balloon. It's lifted up closer to Jesus as he works within my heart. But my flesh is like a sandbag holding me down. I groan. My hope is to one day be transformed like Jesus, to be completely set free of this body of sin and death. One day, that will happen. I groan for the redemption of this body. Number five in your notes. There are actually three groanings in Romans chapter 8. The groaning around us, that's creation, hoping and waiting for that incredible day that the Lord has promised. The groaning within us, it can be a heavy heart at times. And the Spirit's groaning on behalf of us. Now Paul mentions that next. And that's 
more information about the Holy Spirit and how he carries us. Let's look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When our minds are befuddled and we We're up against something. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how we're going to make it, how our hearts are so heavy, we're overwhelmed. The Holy Spirit goes to work. And he goes to work within our hearts and within our souls. The Holy Spirit deeply feels what we're going through. And he lifts our prayers up to heaven, even when we don't know how to pray. Verse 27, now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints. That's you and me because of Jesus. For the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit takes our groans and our struggles and turns them into effective prayers. The Spirit is the perfect prayer partner. Which brings us to this key verse, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So in the lives of his children, God has the ability to take whatever our circumstances are both pleasant and unpleasant. He's big enough to take them and to work them for eternal good as we turn to him and look to him and put our trust in him. And notice each word in this verse, it's strategic. God works. Not a few things, not some things, not most things but all things for good. And notice he works all things together somehow. On their own, any one event or circumstance or issue, it might be really distasteful. It might be hard to swallow. So I thought of an illustration that might help here. How about this for a snack? Okay, how how would you like like two cups of dry flour to munch on right now, or two two cups of sugar? Well, maybe that might be okay. I don't know, or a three quarter cup unsweetened cocoa powder, or two tablespoons of baking powder, or one and a half tablespoons of baking soda, or one tablespoon salt, and so forth. I asked Cheryl, what, would you like that for a snack? And she goes, oh, sounds horrible. What are you talking about? Well, you take that, you mix it up, you put it in the fire for 30 minutes, and what do you have? A chocolate cake. Ooh. Cheryl goes, yum. Well, this is the same in a sense thing that that our God is doing in our lives. 
He's working all these things together as we give them to him. And he mixes them together and he has the ability to turn them around, many of them, and to cause them to work for eternal good as we turn to him and trust him. There's an Old Testament account. Jacob had a hard time believing that God was big enough to deal with his problems. In fact, Jacob declared just the opposite. There was famine in the land. He thought that his beloved son was killed and gone forever, Joseph. His oldest son was now enslaved in Egypt, Simeon. He was held hostage. And the guy that was in charge there said, Simeon, you are going to be held in hostage unless your dad is willing to bring his youngest son, Benjamin, here to Egypt, which was the last thing that Jacob wanted to do. And he responded, Genesis 42, 36. He goes, all things are working against me. But then if you know the rest of the story, Joseph was there. Joseph trusted the Lord. Even though his brothers had literally sold, they wanted to kill him, he was rescued but sold into slavery and all that he went through and the prison and all the things that he went through, he still trusted the Lord and turned to the Lord and he goes, somehow, God, I know you're going to cause this to work together for good. His testimony He's talking to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring, bring it about as it is to this day to save many people alive. God was working all things together for good for his children. And that's why Paul says, we know how Well, we know because of Christ's love for us and what he chose to do for us, to go to the cross in our place. Therefore, we can trust him to keep working in our lives no matter what we're going through. And we can know that he's going to cause it to work for good, for eternal good, and for his glory. Bible teacher R.A. Torrey put it this way. This is a verse... It's a soft pillow for a tired heart. I like that. Verse 29, Paul goes on, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Let's stop right there in verse 30. So, This foreknowledge of God is an absolute mystery to me. I'm stuck in time. God's not. Somehow time is something he created. He's outside of time. He can look anywhere in time at any time and know what's going to happen in the future. It's crazy. Suppose you had this absolute foreknowledge for you playing the lottery wouldn't be gambling. 
Well, you'd know the numbers to pick. Because you could, you're out of time. You could go see what's going to happen, come back, choose them, and then, whoa! That's kind of a, helps understand where God's coming from. And it's true for him. And this came to mind when he called you, when he called me before the world began. He knew, and this is what Paul is getting at, he knew that we were going to make it. Philippians 1.6 And I am, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So folks, God's not up in heaven biting his nails saying, oh, I hope that bunch at Open Gate can make it. No. Paul's going to give us a list here. No. God foreknows. Then he predestines. Then he calls. Then he justifies. Then he glorifies. It's tremendous news to me that when God looks at me in Christ Jesus, that's amazing but true, he sees victory. But it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus. To keep us humble... He also shared this Old Testament picture with his children whom he called the people of Israel. The picture in the Old Testament goes like this, Deuteronomy 9.6. You must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you this land because you are good, for you're not. You're a stubborn people. Now, Although he's called us and chosen us, remember what God said about his chosen people. I'm not giving you this good land because you're good. In other words, when you get into the land and you see all these victories and you, and you have all this land and I give all of this to you and everything's going so great, don't come to the place where you think, oh, look at me, look at what I've done. I deserve this. No, God says, "Uh uh-uh, you're a stubborn people. Watch out that you don't think it's your own righteousness or spirituality, which many in the New Testament, the Pharisees thought, and Jesus, of course, had to deal with them about that. It's because of my love for you, the Lord is saying. He called you, he called me, Because he loves you. Therefore, he's going to see me through. He's going to see you through. He's going to usher me. He's going to usher you into eternity. At the same time, please remember this. Look at your notes, number six. I recognize it's not because of my righteousness or anything that I am or have done that causes him to call me into his kingdom. On the contrary, I am, we are all trophies of his grace, his mercy, and his love. Isn't he something? Amen. I believe that 
angels are going to scratch their heads with their wings when we come into heaven and, and they're going to just marvel at what the Lord's done. The grace and goodness of God. Oh, that you could call a guy like Lee Talley and then transform him to being like Jesus. God, you are something else. Well, it's not just me, it's you too. So, we go on, finishing with verse 30. Whom he called, he also justified. Remember that key phrase, justified? Justified, never sinned. Remember how Romans 8.1 started? No condemnation. Oh, that's good news. And we go on verse 30. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Talking about being carried by the Spirit. Whoa, look at what he's doing. And notice this, that word glorified. Interestingly, it's in the past tense. Because this final step is so certain that in God's eyes, it's as good as done. Worship team, come on up. Your last note, one of my favorite Bible teachers, Walvert, he puts it this way. Between the start and finish of God's plan, there are three steps. Being called, being justified, and being glorified. And in the process, not a single person is lost. Not one. God completes his plan without slippage. When McGee talks about this, he says it's because our Lord, the Good Shepherd, the 99 are there with him, but one's missing. And he does whatever it takes to find that one that is missing. Isn't that something? And he brings everyone home. In response to this truth, Paul just, oh, he's just overwhelmed, overflowing. And he closes with a flurry of questions and they're designed not necessarily to be answered, but they're designed to help us and to stir up our amazement of God's love and God's power and the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives. And so he he goes, verse 31, what shall we say to these things? Oh, out of time. Next Sunday. Let's stand and worship him. Great song to close with, Tyler. Thanks. Uh, if you could put up slide 29 again. Is that possible? I knew, I knew you could do it. No slippage. But I want to go back to being called. So there's something about God's foreknowledge, something about his call that's so mysterious. You go, well, I don't know about that. 
I don't know if he's calling me. Oh, he's calling you. You're here today. You're hearing his word. And oh, he loves you. And he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to turning around, turning to him, to repentance. Oh, that's his heart. He's calling you all right. Well, how do I, how do I know if I fit into this plan? All you have to do is answer his call. And you do. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. How can you guarantee that? Well, because Jesus said it. And he's the one that when you answer his call, he's going to begin to work in you. And you are predestined to someday be like him. And if Jesus predestines you, it's going to happen. Amen? Amen. We close this service, Lord, with you calling. And maybe there's someone who has been thinking about answering your call but just isn't sure. I pray that today they would say, Lord, here am I. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I need help. I can't live up to what I know I should be. But you love me just like I am. I open my heart. I receive your forgiveness that you earned for me on the cross of Calvary. Lord, thank you for setting me free and giving me a new life. Thank you that I'm born of the Spirit of God. Amen. Now you've been called, and now you're a child of God, and Jesus will get you from here to there. God bless. Have a great day. Amen.